Hello, and welcome to Enter the Fold, a Shadow and Bone podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host who has read the books. And I am Mandy Kay, your host who still has not read the books. This week we're talking about episode two, We're All Someone's Monster, written by Eric Hesserer and directed by Lee Toland Krieger. So one of the things that I noted uh, for the first episode that I don't think we actually talked about was Mm -hmm. how beautiful the title card was. Yes. Um, just where it comes up on screen and says Shadow and Bone. Mm-hmm. And it's different in episode two. Yes. And I love it. Like, I don't, I can't, like, tie it into necessarily anything in the episode that happened. Because I'm not sure, is it, like, a big dust storm? Is it, like, supposed to be representative of the fold, even though it's all red? Like, I'm not sure. It's just, it's really pretty. It is very pretty. Honestly, I thought it was kind of, like, blood, because somebody gets cut in half by the darkness that's fair that was my thinking but it, okay i mean i guess it's up to interpretation yeah it can be representative of whatever you want it to be yeah so um i'm guessing that we're gonna have new title cards for every episode um outlander did that which i thought was really cool except theirs were it wasn't just the words on the screen they had like an actual like people and stuff in it right um, but it was still neat to kind of figure out like what's the symbolism tied to it for the episode. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be fun. Plus, I mean, and it's just really pretty. Like the fonts that they've used for the the title and even like the credits and stuff are all really pretty. I like it also. And one of the things that I really like when they, when the, like they have the location come up on screen, but it's like a blot of darkness first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that one's really good. The design is, yeah. the design all around in this show is very good. Absolutely agree, 100%. Like, I could just watch it just to enjoy the scenery. Mm-hmm. Even even when we're in, like, the the tents of the army, right? Where, like, what does Alina say in the first episode? It's like they're a donation center or something. Uh, a halfway house or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, even those, it's just, it's pretty. Whenever I see an interview with Eric Hesserer, who was the showrunner, he always talks about how, like, little money they had and how they had to sort of make that work. And there are definitely a lot of scenes where you can tell they're on a soundstage, but they still make it look really good. Yeah, like you don't care. Yeah. So it it just, it works for me. I was watching on my TV yesterday, and when I sort of ran through the series originally, I was watching on my computer, which does not, isn't just not nearly as nice of a screen. Mm -hmm. And so when I was watching on our TV, there's a scene in the snow later, and I was like, oh, that's sand. Yep, they're definitely in some sand there. But I did, also I didn't oh, wow. really care because yeah. it was still very pretty and and the scene was good. So mm-hmm. I like the idea that they spent the money where they needed to spend it. Yeah, for sure. So this episode opens up back at the orphanage. It does. And we learn about how every kid is tested to see if they are Grisha. And they've changed the test from the books and I don't know why. Okay. So in the show, the Grisha testing is a a prick on the arm. Mm -hmm. That seems to be it. And somehow they know. Yeah. Who knows? So, uh, I mean, in Alina's case, we see her tested by the general here. And so when she's pricked, like the light comes. So I'm curious, like, do Inferni have like fire come out of their little wound? (laughs) Like, oh, like how see, does that work? That's interesting. So this is why I like having you here, because I didn't even connect those two things, uh, because I was just thinking, this isn't how it was in the book. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't, so I'm just, I'm wondering, like, he pricked her, like, you know, he scratched her, mm-hmm. and the light shoots out of her wound. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like when they test other kinds of Grisha? Like, what, how do, how do you know if you're a heart render or a tailor or a fabricator? Like, what happens? I, I would really like to see more testing, so just to see what it looks like. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. I can explain to you how it works in the book. I'm I'm curious because I imagine it's maybe more clear and less visual maybe. So in the book, there are people who are amplifiers. And when they touch a Grisha, they can feel their power. Like their power is drawn to the surface. And General Kerrigan is one of those people. So in like the equivalent scene of him cutting her open in the book, he... Touch. That sounds so vicious. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. He he touches her and she tries to resist. And so he kind of cuts into it. Like she unconsciously tries to resist. So he kind of cuts into her in order to draw her power out. But mm. it's because he's using his own powers of amplification. And it's not, there's no machine. It's just people come and touch kids. Not in a bad way. <laughs> Okay, that is definitely different So from um, in this world, for yeah. sure. The only thing I can think about why they changed it is, well, we can talk about that later, but because mm-hmm. it comes up in a later episode. But I'm still just like, but why? I, I, I don't know. It's very strange to me. Okay. Um, we, we see in this scene that Alina and Mal run away to hide from testing. Mal can't be tested because he's injured. Mm-hmm. And Alina doesn't want to be tested if Mal can't be because that would mean there's the possibility she could be a Grisha and would have to leave him. Mm-hmm. And they want to stay together. Yes. There's, there, there's a lot of togetherness in this episode with the, the imagery between Alina and Mal. There and is. And it cuts back and forth between them. And one of the things that... Okay, so something that I, we probably should have spent more time on last episode, but I was like flush in my excitement since we recorded so early, <laughs> is the racism that these two face when they're kids and how mm-hmm. terrible it is. Yeah, I mean, we, we touched on it. We did touch on it. I found myself wondering, what what is Mal? Because he is called Mutt and Halfbreed. Mm-hmm. But they don't call specific attention to him the way they do Alina. And he's not treated differently in the army because of it. That's what I was going to say. Like, once they grow up, Alina still has a lot of racism pointed Mm -hmm. her way and Mal has zero. Right. And I'm like, but why? So do we we know? Like, is does that happen in the book? No, because they're both just white in the book. Oh, okay. All of the racism in this show was a choice for the show. Oh, okay. Hmm. I wonder if there will be something that comes up about that later. I should say all of the racism directed at Alina and when they're kids to Mal is a choice for the show. There is like, uh, there is, you know, well, yeah, there's the Grisha and the shoe. And yeah, there is other stuff that happened in the books. But I mean, this very specific. And also, I don't understand. Like, we never really hear about the shoe in the book, or sorry, in the show, except in regards to the racism towards Alina. And I'm like, but why? Why did you, why is there nothing else? And it just seems like a poor choice. Hmm. And like, we don't hear about them being at war with them. We don't hear about anything. Yeah, All so far, all we've heard is they just don't. Ravkins don't like the shoe. Yeah. But like the enemy, but I don't know why. 
you would think that they would really hate the Fjerdins, who, to be fair, are also just white people. So, I mean, I guess they don't have racism on their side there. But I, I don't understand. And I think it wasn't written well. And I kind of get the, the idea that they wanted Alina to feel even more like an outsider. They really wanted to put it externally on the screen instead of... Because the book's told from her point of view. So you get all of her internal thoughts about mm. feeling like an outsider and why. And so I guess in a way I get that they had to put it on screen somehow, but I just think that they made a wrong choice there with some of this stuff. Mm. They do have that scene kind of at the end with Alina and Kerrigan mm -hmm. where, you know, he's asking her about when she was tested and, and she just says they hid. And she's like, you don't get it. When you look the way I do, you'll do anything not to be different or something similar to that. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think you're right. They're they're trying to use it as as a way to help the audience understand that it's more than just she wanted to be with Mal, right? It, yeah. Like her skipping the testing wasn't about being scared of the testing. It was about wanting to stay with Mal because Mal was familiar and comforting and the only thing that she had that was close to family. Yeah, and the only person she knew who was like her. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So. Back in present day, we see a healer work on Alina, and the healer has a quick line about how First Army goes to medical when Alina asks about Mal, mm -hmm. and right away we see that, like, they have magical healers, but only if you're Grisha. Right? Like, the magical healer could have instantly healed Every Mal's wounds. Everybody? Well, everybody, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. And I, I, there's a lot of things in this episode that I feel they really point out how maybe Rafka is, you know, divided in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we still get, there's a lot of anti-Grisha sentiment from the people who aren't Grisha yeah. in this episode, partic even particularly among the, the Ravkins, like with Mal and, and the way he feels about Alina being with them. Yeah. Like, first, he's terrified for her because they think she's something that he believes she isn't. And so they're going to kill her. And then when she is Grisha and she still has to go off with them, he's like, no, I don't trust them. Like, they're not going to take care of her. It's a little bit of hubris on his part there, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, Just Mal and Alina separated. And then we are back in Ketterdam. And Kaz and Inej are arguing because their plans got difficult since they only have until sunrise to figure out a way across the fold. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Inej has a, a menagerie problem. Yes. We don't hear the word menagerie yet at no, this point, though. Okay. And so the mark was very confusing to me at first. I was gotcha. like, I don't understand what's happening here. But, I mean, later we learn that that's the mark of the, menagerie. Uh, the brothel, the yeah. menagerie, which is the, the brothel that she worked for that, that Kaz is paying her indentured yeah, for her to get her freedom. They've changed that a little bit from the book, but I guess it amounts pretty much to the same thing. And but one of the things that I noticed in this scene is that they have softened Kaz a good bit from the book. Oh, because when Inej runs off at the end and he kind of yells after her, Kaz never would have done that in the book. He would just been like, "Fine, hate me." Oh, okay. He definitely has a soft spot for Inej. Yeah, they've made it very. They've made it very clear that he does. In in the book, it was a little bit more like, oh, I see. He will rip your eyeball out. Gotcha. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah, a very quick scene with Kaz and Inej before we're taken back to Alina. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you what my note says here. Okay. It says, Alina is taken to the general. Ben Barnes is a beautiful man. <laughs> yes. 
So my book club has like a, a group chat and basically all of us, because we've all read the book, so we were all talking about it yesterday. And somebody sent just the darkling with the hard eyes emoji. And then somebody else replied with, yeah, he's hot as fuck. <laughs> I mean, he, he's he's really nice to look at. I mean, he does that like tall, dark and handsome thing with the facial hair like yeah. so well. Like. Per- it, perfect and it's just so interesting because the only thing i really know him from before this is prince caspian which is the exact opposite but it works so well he, yeah. it, it, i i'm i am not mad about this casting no he's really good and uh i think i saw an interview with him where he mentioned i don't know if his whole performance but this scene in particular he was a little bit um hannibal lecter inspired from uh mm. silence of the lambs when uh, Jodie Foster's character first meets him and he's like standing there and he's just like come closer <laughs> that's funny yeah. I mean he was definitely intimidating yeah for sure but Alina maintains her sassiness through it and I love it he's like well and she's like well what sir yeah and it just made me crack up I love it but then yeah so Zoya recounts what happened and Kirigan forces Alina to summon light and we see Mal from outside the tent who is shocked and confused mm-hmm confirmation for everyone i guess that alina is indeed the sun summoner and then back to kaz mm-hmm. pekka rollins comes to visit and this is the most unrealistic part of the entire series that oh. kaz couldn't take two of pekka's men that's some bullshit he oh was. that's interesting so my note is he makes a valiant effort to overpower the men but spectacularly fails yeah that's but kaz would have just murdered them oh really okay yeah. Even with the the cane and the limp and everything, he he would have been. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, I only know what I see in the show, so it it makes sense to me because he he doesn't strike me as physically powerful. He's powerful in words and right. in reputation, but I don't see him as being super physically powerful. So the thing about Kaz and why I feel he would have won this fight is that he is ruthless. He doesn't have like a stopping point. He doesn't have a, oh, maybe that's too violent. He doesn't have a, like, you know, like he he would just, he doesn't have honor. He doesn't I have guess, a conscience. In a fight. He would <laughs> okay. just do whatever had to be done to come out on top. Interesting. Because I haven't, I haven't seen that side of him. Yeah. I, I don't know that he has honor, but I haven't seen that he doesn't, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no. I hear what you're saying. And it's... It's an interesting, I'm not saying I dislike how they've done Kaz. I actually really like how they've done it, especially since I can I can understand where they want the audience to be on his side. Mm-hmm. Because again, we don't really get his point of view chapters, you know, we don't get in his head. Mm-hmm. So I get why they've done what they've done, but I don't know. At least one of those dudes would have been dead. That's yeah. what I feel. Well, honestly, I'm surprised that Pekka left Kaz alive because, I mean, he killed the guy from the orchid. Yeah. Right? And here, he's just like, no, you're just going to give up your job. And then he leaves him, expecting Kaz to do it. Right? And that just felt strange. And then Kaz also asks him if they've ever made a deal before. And Pekka's like, no, I totally remember you or you'd be dead. Right. Um, And I thought that was weird at the time. But then later on, Jesper asks Kaz if Pekka remembered him. So clearly, there's some sort of history there that we are unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Jesper asking Kaz that question is wild to me because that means Jesper knows? Like, what? Why would Kaz have told him? Why would Jesper know? What? I mean, they seem to be, even though it's set up that Jesper works for Kaz, they seem to be more partners than anything here. 
That's very different. Um, I will say Pekka leaving Kez alive from a book reader's perspective makes total sense because if you kill somebody from uh, another gang, you're just starting a gang war. Mm. But he did that with the orchid? I think that guy just ran a brothel. He wasn't part of a gang. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Um, so we cut to uh, Inez. I, my note says Inez. I don't know why. <laughs> Inez and Jesper talking about Kaz and mm-hmm. um, his relationship with Pekka. He wants revenge, but we don't really, we don't know why. I think Inej and Jesper do, but we don't. Inej doesn't. And she just knows that Kaz has a look in his eyes when he talks about Pekka. Okay. And Jesper's line of, did he remember you, kind of implies that Jesper knows, which is really weird to me. I just don't feel like, like book Jesper doesn't know. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't imagine, (laughs) cannot imagine Kaz having a heart to heart with Jesper, you know, like. Let's sit down and talk about our childhood trauma. You know, like, I just don't see that happening, but. All right. Well, now I know it's a childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then this really weird thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaz starts watching people counting money in his club. Yes. And um, I, I didn't catch it the first time through until, like, I didn't notice that all of the people were counting money differently. Right. The first time I watched it until he pointed it out and then I saw it the second time through. Um, the specific woman he calls for her to be brought to him because he sees by the way that she counts the money that she's not from there. She's from the other side of the fold. Yeah, Kaz, smart and ruthless Kaz is my favorite Kaz. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because, like, he was so mean to her, Mm -hmm. but, like, also not, right? Like, he's all intimidating and yelling at her, but he wants her to stay and keep spending money and gives her more money. Even though he just gave her the money to count it, like it, I don't know. He was, it was weird. Like it was an odd juxtaposition, but I liked it. Yeah. Yes. You know, that's the Kaz I know. The Kaz who's mean, but then when you go back and examine it, like, oh, actually, maybe kind of not. Right. Yeah. Or when you learn more about what was going on, you're like, oh, maybe kind of not. That's really good. And like yeah. I said, Kaz noticing everything that's happening around him, that, mm-hmm. that's really, that's Kaz. Yep. And that's how we find out that she got through the fold with someone called the conductor. I'm not going to lie. There was like a brief moment in my head where I was like, geez, maybe they did cast my favorite character. But they absolutely did not. It was just like a brief second of hope. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. That gives me things to think about for the future. Um, quick cut back to Alina. She's put into carriage to go to the Little Palace. My note here is Alina being put in the coach. It's like being absorbed into the Darkling's aesthetic. <laughs> Aww. She's not allowed to say goodbye to Mal. So, like, she's be- banging on the window, yelling at him, I didn't know, I didn't know. And he's chasing the carriage. It's like everything out of every, like, 90s child movie where the best friend moves away. <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> They stare forlornly at each other as she drives off down the street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was exactly that. And then he has to stop running because he's injured. But that's it. That's it. Quick scene. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, like, this This episode is mostly about Kaz and Inej. We get, like, more screen time with them. But they have to keep inserting these little bits of Alina and Mal so that we remember. Yeah. Like, how important their relationship is and and how different Alina's life is about to be. 
I definitely feel like this episode was long and not much happened. Yes. I mean, a lot happened for for somebody who hasn't read the books, like world building. That's yes. what this episode yeah. is. This episode is 100% world building, particularly outside of Ravka. Yeah. And I'm I mean, not... Yeah. The, the Ravkin world is relatively simple. You've got Grisha and you've got not Grisha and you've got socioeconomic politics. Yeah. Outside of that, you've got this giant world with things like the menagerie and brothels and... You know, then you've got like north of that, you've got the Fjordan, Fjord, whatever you call it. Fjordan, that's what it is. Trying to kill everybody. You know, there's just like so much else going on. And they're trying to educate the audience in the best way that they can. And I think they've done a good job. But this whole episode takes place in the span of like an hour or two. Really? Yes. Yeah. And, well, at least the Ravka stuff. Or, no, yeah, because it's all one night in mm-hmm. in um, Ketterdam. But we have to remember that Ketterdam is still weeks ahead. Because remember when we saw Alexi at the end of the last episode, he'd come that's out of the fall two weeks ago. Oh, that's right. And this is happening that same day for, yeah. for Alina. Uh-huh. I forgot about that. Interesting. I don't think okay. it really comes to any anything in the show, but it's interesting that they're not synced up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where do we go to next? I think we go to Inej at the menagerie. With Helene taking off all of her knives. Yes. I love this scene. Like, just watching her, she used to take all her weapons off, and she's, like, got this impressive array, and they're just, like, all stuck in her bodice and even in her hair. Yes. And we definitely see that one has some writing on it, which I meant to zoom in before we recorded, but I'm assuming that's the knife's name. She does name her knives. Oh, Okay. Well, I haven't seen any bit of writing in this show yet that I can read, so. <laughs> they may speak English, but they certainly don't read and write it. Right. Um, yeah, this is actually where we find out a lot more about Kaz and Inej's relationship. Like, Inej is, she she was owned by Helene. She was indentured to Helene in mm-hmm. the brothel, and um, Kaz has purchased her, but on an installment plan. Yeah. So while she is quote-unquote free, like she works for Kaz now. She is not free from Helene because Helene still owns. Like she hasn't been paid off yet. Yeah. Um, so Helene takes this opportunity to say, I have a job for you, and if you want your freedom so that you can do this job with Kaz, you have to kill somebody for me. One of the things that I really love is how this job is very, very secret, but somehow everyone knows. Right? That, Everybody knows. Like, that feels very true to me in, like, a town run by cr- crime and gangs mm-hmm. and stuff that mm-hmm. nobody knows, but everybody knows. Yeah. Inej then asks Jesper to kill this dude for her because she won't kill. And I I still don't know exactly why. I Maybe her faith? I think that's like, what they imply later when she's... When she's with him. Yeah. You know, and he, he calls out the... the emblem the brooch or whatever that she's wearing Mm -hmm. um but they say it more than once in this episode that she won't kill which is an interesting character choice for somebody who walks around with so many knives yeah it's i would say that that's kind of taken from like one quick line in the book that they have okay and they tried and they expanded on it and i kind of like it's a interesting character journey for her okay okay uh, back to Alina in the carriage. Or oh, I will say, we, we missed, um, 
like we should mention that Jesper was being like peak Jester here, Jesper here, when he was just looking at himself in a mirror and enjoying it. I love Jesper. I love so good. He has a line coming up that is like my favorite scene with Jesper is the next one after this one with Alina. I love it. Um, He's he's kind of my favorite character right now. I understand completely. He's amazing. And that that hat, like not many people can pull off a hat like that. Mm -hmm. He does. It's great. And not many people can pull off how like in love with himself he is, but still be likable. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And we also see Inej being Inej in that she appears, says some stuff, and then disappears. (laughs) Jesper's like, she did it again. Yeah. (laughs) He's looking for her. So. But yeah, then we're back with Alina. And we learn that Keftas are bulletproof. But, Which is um, really neat. It's neat, but we also learn, you know, the the first army, the ones who get shot at mostly, they don't get them. Of course not. Only Grisha do. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of talk in this scene about why Alina is so important as the Sun Summoner. Yeah. Like, she's she's not just important because she's the only one. She's like a myth come to life. You know, mm-hmm. she... Res- resembles resembles not the word she represents hope for the entire freaking country yeah like this is a lot to go on this girl right now well uh, one of the things that i really love about this conversation is that we've seen a lot of the grisha from the first army point of view and and how they think less of them and what snobs they are and here we finally get to see from the grisha point of view how you know, people have wanted them dead. People have chased them and attacked them and, and done all these things to them and that they're kind of afraid of mm-hmm. people. And again, it's another scene where we see how Ravka's divided. Right. Um, they talk about how the, the the reason the palace has high walls is because it's yeah. the only place that's safe for the Grisha. And they hope that if a Grisha takes down the fold, that people won't be scared of Grisha anymore. Or, or, yeah, at least it'll be something in their favor. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's an ambush. The Fjordans attack, and I hate their design. Why? So these are supposed to be Juskela, and Juskela mm-hmm. are, like, elite army people who are specifically trained from childhood to hunt Grisha. So, so they not homeless-looking Bushmen? Exactly. Got it. Like, this, these, they've designed them to look like... Well, like Bushmen coming out of the woods with <laughs> handmade axes, you know? Yeah. And, okay. But, but you clearly hear somebody yell, Juskela. Mm-hmm. So these are supposed to be elite army people who have specific weapons and training to in- specifically fight Grisha. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they do kick their asses. So there's there's that. They have guns and the Grisha don't carry guns, do they? They just rely on their own quote-unquote magic. Yeah. One grabs Alina and is going to kill her, drags her out of the carriage, and uh, General Kerrigan rides in and saves the day Mm -hmm. by using his darkness to cut this dude into a couple different pieces. It's so gross. Which was kind of neat. It was was very good. It was gross, especially the way, like, this dude's blood gets in Alina's mouth, and I could not stop staring at that, but it was overall a great effect and the way that he just like rode in and the visual of him pulling the shadows with him before he yes. performs the cut yes it, w- it was beautiful it was, it was great another another good example of them just 
spending the money where they need it because it looked great. There was nothing about that special effect that made me go, ooh. It mm-hmm. just was like creepy and weird and powerful looking. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. It all of the scenes with Ben Barnes, like yes. they they found a way to just make him absolutely command the screen. Yes. Um and some of it is that cape. I mean, come on. <laughs> some of it's the cape. But he doesn't wear the cape the entire time. No. So it's true. It, it is more than that, but it's it's great. It's great. And I love how how uh, like there's that really beautiful great shot when he's riding up and the darkness is following behind him as he's like gathering it up Mm -hmm. uh and like the overhead it's so good and the special effects and the acting and the look just came together to create a perfect uh kerrigan yeah it's weird for me calling him that but yeah perfect kerrigan well in the book he's only ever called the darkling oh really yeah you so didn't have a name, okay. That's why sometimes I call him that and not Kerrigan. The 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 Fjordan called him the Darkling. Yeah, when he pulled up. So, um, we go back to Catterdam. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaz and Jasper are. Kaz has to go see Poppy. Yes, Poppy at uh, the Emerald Palace, which is on Dime Lion territory, which is Pekka Rollins Club. And while they're walking up, Jasper is talking about how much. He, in particular, thinks they need a demo man, an explosive expert, <laughs> somebody to explode things for them. And Jesper really needs that in his life. I'm sure everyone he really agrees does. with me. <laughs> um, that, that's it, a book call out. Is it? Is yeah. it? Okay. I'm drawing particular attention to it and how it's Jesper who wants a demo man for reasons. Okay. All right. I mean, this is my favorite Jesper scene mm-hmm. um, because... You know, he's he's saying in, in the scene that he wants a demo man because, you know, that's not his particular talent. It's not a Jesper talent to blow things up if they need it. He just likes to look good with his guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that, um, when Jesper realizes they're in Dime Lion's territory and he's like, dude, you can't go in there. They're going to kill you on sight. And Kaz is like, well, then you need to make sure they don't see me. Jesper's like, man, handsome decoy is also not a Jesper talent. Yeah. And I think that's the best line in the whole episode. It's good. And honestly, I think he makes a great handsome decoy. Absolutely. He was fantastic. Um, so Kaz goes in to see Poppy, and they have bad blood between them, but he still gets information out of her about the conductor. I think that scene is later. Is it later? Yeah, because here, I think we, oh, you're Kaz right. goes in and we cut to Inej has come to kill a man. You're right. Absolutely. And then I think we're quickly back to Kerrigan and Alina. Yes, this is where Alina has to stop because her tailbone hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kerrigan gives her a black like handkerchief cloth thing. And mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you're taking the aesthetic too far. <laughs> Why do you have like you just pull black cloths out of like what? Does he just I don't <laughs> I think if if he has any stitch of fabric on him, it has to be black. I think that's just a rule that he gave his tailors, except they're not tailors in this world, his his dressmakers. And the fabricators. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, maybe it's the fabricators who are dedicated to the aesthetic. Maybe, maybe. I feel like he kind of is too, though, because he's kind of embracing this whole brooding thing. I just think, like, the only reason I can think to have the the black outfit and the black carriage and the black horses is for the presence, you know, to be that mm-hmm. intimidating general. 
So why a black a black handkerchief? That's that that you pull that out and I just think, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> that's who well, you are. All it did for me was it made me. It took me out of the moment a little bit because if she had wiped blood on a black handkerchief, it wouldn't have looked like red paint. It was very clearly not blood, and so in that moment, it took me out a little bit. But you know, it whatever. It's fine. But then Alina does ask about what, how he cut that dude in half. Mm -hmm. And we learn that it's called the cut very originally. And it's something that any summoner can do who has enough power to like gather their, yeah, skill and power. So, and they, he kind of refers to like atoms, but he doesn't, he doesn't use that word. Yeah. So he talks about their magic very scientifically. He says that everything has matter, even if you can't see it, like even shadows. And he's not creating something from nothing. He's manipulating what already exists, which is yeah. nice. I think that that's a nice piece of the world building. Yeah. Um, to kind of understand what they're doing. Alina doesn't want to be gracious. She says, can't you, like, don't you have somebody who could just, like, take this away from me and give it to somebody else? And he kind of gets offended. <laughs> he's like, don't you want this gift? Um, and they have that conversation about why she doesn't want to be Grisha. Um, he asks about her testing. She says they hid mm-hmm. um, because she doesn't want to be different. Uh, she's been alone enough, and she didn't want something to make her even more alone. And he looks at her and says, you are Grisha. You are not alone. Yeah. I've, so many important things going on here. Like him, you, you see that he definitely thinks that gr- being Grisha is important mm-hmm. because he is offended when she's like, can't you just give it to Oh, he's super else? offended. Yeah. <laughs> And but also he, you really get this idea that at least a part of his motivation is Grisha together, Grisha being there for each other, community, family, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because you know he does know a thing or two about being different. He's the only one who can do what he does, mm-hmm. and right? being so hated. even in a world, even even in a world of Grisha, he's different. Yeah. And we've learned that the Grisha are feared and hated and, you know, so the Grisha haven't had it as easy as people think they have, even though they get all the fancy stuff. Yeah. Or they haven't had it easy in the past, maybe, and now they've got this powerful dude on their side. Mm, Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Because I think the palace and stuff is because of him. Yeah. So, yeah. He has this line about how her little light show in the fold could could have been seen for miles. And I was like, dude, you made her summon light outside of the darkness. It was like a beacon. Right. (laughs) That was all you. Yeah. And then he does have a line that just sort of goes by really quickly where he says proper chaining, some amplification. And that's the first sort of hint that we get that amplification is a thing. Okay. I don't think I even picked up on that. Okay. A quick scene back with the first army. Mal Mm -hmm. wants to go after Alina. He barges in on their leader. I want to call him the general, but he's probably not the general if Kerrigan's a general. I don't know. Is he just the general of the first army? There's the two different armies, right? There's the first army, which is non-Grisha, and the second army, which is Grisha. Okay. So the first army would have their own generals. I know nothing about army titles. Yeah. Well, so the guy in charge, how about that? Yeah. Mal busts in and is like, dude, we have to go get Alina. She's not safe. She was one of us. And the general's like, no, she's Grisha now. She can, they, they can handle her. And um, Mal's still pretty upset about it. We get a quick history lesson about 
how Grisha used to be like so important. Like one Grisha was worth 50 non-Grisha and Mm -hmm. as weapons uh, were invented and advanced, the Grisha are less powerful. And so soon, like there are going to be weapons that will kind of make them obsolete and like, why should he care about them? Yeah. Basically. But at the same time, like that's all other countries who can do that. Ravka can't, has problems making new, more powerful weapons. Right. Due to how they're cut off. I mean, I kind of feel like his priorities are messed up here because if they didn't have the Grisha, they would have a lot more casualties. Yeah. Um, and something that, I mean, this comes up in the books later, but I I think it's very clear here. Like, why don't these two armies work together more? Yeah. Like, imagine if you have cool weapon and Grisha, and you figure out a way to combine those two. Mm-hmm. Like, their own prejudices are keeping them down. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Again, sorry. that That's later, than, but still. All right. <clears throat> uh, um, now we get to see Jesper's diversion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he... <laughs> and, and we get a really good look at how fast he is with his guns here. Yeah. Because you don't ever actually see him shoot, but it's very clear that it was him. Right. He's like, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. Saints. Also, one of the notes that I put here was like, thank God they put the crows in this season, or I just don't think we'd ever get a laugh. Like, it would just oh, be ultimate point. drama. Yes, good point. So, um, that's yeah. nice. So we meet Poppy. Yes, we meet Poppy and Kaz, and then it becomes very clear that Tanta Helene had something else in mind when she sent Inej off to murder well, the conductor. This is some, like, diabolical, evil genius level stuff. Yes. Welcome right? to the crows. Like, when I realized what had happened, I was, like, it blew my mind. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like, Helene, like, not even, she doesn't even want the money for herself. Like, she just wants to sabotage Kaz. And so she... She tells Inej that she can have her freedom to go do the job with Kaz if she kills this dude who's the conductor, who's who they need to do the job in the first place. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. One of the things that I really love about Kaz in the books, who is, as I've said, more ruthless and more mean, I guess, than we see him here, is that he's very much juxtaposed by people who are true evil and so mm. you still are kind of like on his side against a lot of these people. Right. Okay. And that, and this is one of them. Tanta Helene is a fucking bitch. Like there's just oh, no yeah. other word for it. She is like. Yeah. She'd stab you in the face with a smile on her face. Yeah. And they, they go into like. Inej's past with her a lot more. And we might get that in like, I don't know if we do further seasons. But like Inej says here, she was stolen when she was 14 and sold to a brothel. And that was mm-hmm. to Tanta Helene, who bought a fourteen-year-old girl, yeah, and used her. Yeah, the re- well, and the reason that Inej is willing to hurt the conductor or even kill him—I don't know that she would have gone through with it, but she looked real close to it—is mm-hmm. um, because Helene told her that this man is the one that steals children and sells them to brothels. Mm-hmm. And so she has a very personal stake in stopping a man who does such a thing. Um, but he insists that he's he doesn't do that, that he's a smuggler who helps refugees escape the war, which is very different from kidnapping children and selling them to brothels. Yes. And 
and then she has a line here that her brother was also stolen, mm-hmm. which is complete show fabrication. She was an only child in the book. So oh. I don't know what they're going to do with that. Okay. Um, anyhow, Kaz arrives just in the nick of time to stop her from killing him. Yep. And he calls him the conductor and is like, hey, we need to hire you. Pretty much. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, what would be going through my mind if I was the conductor? Would I take this business on? Probably not. But if I don't, they're going to kill me. So yep, it's just all very criminal. Yes. God, I love them. And then we're <laughs> back to Alina and they reach the little palace, which is where Grisha live. And she is brought to her room. And now she can follow the rules that were set down in episode one. You know, wait till you're alone to have your emotional breakdown. Mm, yes. Which she very quickly does. And then rule number two was always have a weapon. And she finds herself a weapon. I did not put those two things together that way. I mean, I, ma- I made a note that she did both of those things, but I forgot that those were the two rules that we got in, in episode one. That's thought, fantastic. Yeah. thought that was well done. Yeah. And then Mal almost becomes a deserter, but his friends stop him from being just dumb. Like, thank God, because I enjoy how they have made Mal likable, but still just not smart. Yeah. I mean, and, but, and they even specifically call it out. His friend is like, you know, we're foolish creatures. And when a friend is in danger, we're going to do foolish things. Yeah. That was that was nice. Which so. also cuts to Kaz putting the Crow Club up as collateral so that he can take an edge on the job. Yeah, that's that's a big thing to do. I don't know... I, I'm not sure, especially after hearing you talk about Book Kaz this mm-hmm. episode, is he doing that because he believes that much in Inej or is he doing that because he's just so arrogant that he believes there's no way they're not going to succeed in this job? I mean, as he says in this episode to Inej, does it have to be one or the other? Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, we end the episode with some really beautiful shots of Alina and Mal both laying in their beds thinking about each other being sad and lonely but the way they shoot it it's very reminiscent of the the meadow scene where she's yeah. on the left and he's on the right and they both reach out their hands and so like it's like they're looking at each other it's just it's beautiful and it's lovely and it was a really good shot yeah it was well done it's a really good episode it was good. I enjoyed a lot of it. I will say when I started it, I thought we got further, like when I started it to take my notes, because mm-hmm. I thought I thought Jenny was in this episode, but I guess that's next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like hardly any time passed Yeah. Um, in this episode. It was literally just, we have to get, particularly in Ravka, we just have to get Alina from the front to the palace. The palace that's it. Yeah. That's all that happens. And then she cries. Um, so this was mostly about Kaz trying to figure out stuff. Yeah. How to get across uh, the fold and how to get all three of them out of Ketterdam. But I have how mm-hmm. so I have questions and, and they may get answered later in later episodes. But when we left Dreesen in episode one, he said that Kaz had until sunrise to bring him Alina. No, but Al- to bring him a plan to get across the fold. Okay. Not to literally bring him Alina. Okay, that may be where my confusion is. Yeah, because if he if they if he could present him where where like we have this sure way across the fold, then they would be hired for the job. 
I mean, overall, I'm I'm so glad you're making me watch the show. Good. I'm excited for you to read the books and like text me every single thought that you had while you read them. You know, I might like wait. Like I may only do because we've watched season one, then I'll read book one and then I'll wait and do season two. I'll read book two. Would, would I might you, do that. Would you read book like would you read Shadow and Bone book one and then also read Six of Crows? I don't know because I, I, I may have to have you and the listeners guide me on that just because I don't know where things take place in the world. Right. And like timeline wise. Um, well, I mean, the show's messed up the timeline, but um, right. That I mean, it's going to be like two years at least. Like they haven't even okayed season two yet as of this recording. Oh, they need to get on that. Because I don't want to wait that long to read the books, but I'm really enjoying our conversations where I only know the world through the show. I'm enjoying it too because you pick up on things that I like, like that that I just don't, and it's an, they're good conversations. So I I may take one for the team and not read the books at all until after the show is done, but Ooh. I I'm not I am not committing to that. Yeah, that's fair. But I do enjoy only having the show as my foundation. Um, it's definitely a different experience from what I've had, you know, watching adaptations in the past. So it's fun. It is. All right. And I think that that is it for this week. And going forward, we're going to release on Mondays. I know our first episode came out on the Friday that the show was released, but we're going to do Mondays from here on out. So if you would like to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at EnterTheFoldPod or email us at EnterTheFoldPod at gmail.com. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin. And I am Mandy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send me a message on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And remember, I like to have powerful enemies. Makes me feel important.